You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Schmoozing with Rav Meir Schiller, Meir Ene Chachamim, this week, which is known as Super Bowl week. And uh, we figured this is a good time, Rav Meir and I, to discuss something which I think is close to his heart, and it's probably close to many people's hearts, which is the significance of sports in our society. Uh, there's no question about it that the Super Bowl has replaced any game of the World Series, even if you put all seven together, as the ultimate sports event in the United States. So it, this is probably a good week to talk about it as issues are coming up about its value, recriminations uh, against it. And especially in our world, in the Jewish world, are you going to watch the game? Are you going to be at the game? Is there a Super Bowl party? How terrible it is to watch it or not? So, Mayor, why don't you uh, begin uh, about uh, your your sense about this year's game and in general about that this sport and, and sports in general? I think we have to divide this uh, subject into several sub-subjects. One is the overall cultural significance of the Super Bowl in uh, the dying civilization of European man. That's one. Two, its significance uh, for any believing person, whether Christian, Muslim, or Jew, what, what a religious person should think of that. And lastly, in terms of the, uh, the Orthodox Jew himself. Now, as we've said many times here, there is a elephant in the room, which is people tend to view life as they are told by the elites of their society to view it. So the elites of American society portray the Super Bowl as this, uh, I don't even want to call it pagan, sort of this this, this quasi-commercialist, consumerist uh, phenomena, antithetical to any notion of the good, capital T, capital G. That's how it's portrayed by American elites. It's portrayed by orthodox elites as either evil or silly, or perhaps permissible when filed under rest and relaxation at Tehrim. And then there's the third question, whether the pursuit or the visual or the watching of uh, athletic events has any meaning, which goes to the question of whether athleticism, sports, has any real meaning, which to my mind is linked to the question of the aesthetic realm. Does um, any form of beauty or human experience, which is not explicitly sacred, does it have any uh, ontic meaning, objective meaning? These questions hit me recently when I confronted the question of some boys in the Hamish Avelt, Hasidish or Yeshivish, who were anticipating this event. And I have to conclude, I think, that for them, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it plugs them into um, European civilization 2024, which is something negative to any believing person, Jew or non-Jew. So for them, I think it's negative, but that does not go to the essential question of whether, A, for an orthodox setting which does not demonize it, is it okay under rest and relaxation? And then, B, is there any reality to athletic 
talent, perfection. And again, how is Gretzky different than Mozart or Beethoven and so on and so forth? So many questions. Yeah. So let me just, let me just understand a point you just made. And then I want to um, thank you and discuss a little bit um, an, an essay that you suggested I read. But the point you just made was that if a, a Beshraga student or someone who is even more insulated experiences the 2024 hoopla excess of a Super Bowl, even if there isn't a party, but just what he absorbs on the screen, it's going to be such a shock to his system, not because of the hard-hitting or the beautiful spiral passes or <laughs> that Mahomes or Purdy, if, if he's lucky, is able to launch, but rather... I'll, be- I'll, ignore, I'll ignore that distinction for the yeah. moment. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, the point, though, I'm trying to make is, is that, that you're saying is it's going to be watching the, the Black National Anthem, the White National Anthem, the commercials, the, the whole excess of what you find as destructive in how the Super Bowl presents itself. But let's say we could take this Munkachel, Beishraga child, and take him back to 1969 and perhaps watch the Jets-Colts Super Bowl. But maybe that wouldn't have been so bad, right? In other words, you're saying that it isn't so much the exposing this child to the excitement of the sports, but rather it's everything else that goes along with it that you would find destructive, that that he's not shielded yet. He's not inoculated from that, correct? Yes, 100% correct. And Super Bowl three would have been vastly different. First of all, because it was in the middle of the afternoon. It was uh, <laughs> afternoon Seder in Beishaga, and uh, we were learning Hamaniach in the Beis Medrash, and the Meshifta boys kept coming upstairs and telling me that the Jets were winning, and I had guaranteed a Colts victory. So uh, that's something that uh, took me a while to live down in Beishaga. I have to tell you, I was watching that game in the house of the of, of my dear father figure and Rebbe Ravnota Greenblatt with his children. He had just purchased a color television. And for that reason, you know, I, I had trekked out to their house and uh, we were watching it on the floor. And I remember that uh, if you remember the game, the the details of the game, when the, when the, it looked like the Colts were in dire, dire trouble, Unitas came off the bench and uh there was like this hope that maybe from 16 to 7 maybe Unitas could somehow pull two scores out of his pocket and and the Colts would indeed emerge victorious and i remember Ravnota in the um uh, in the other room i think he was sitting and learning and we were watching the game and i remember his his son Yanko said tot Unitas is coming in they're going to fit in Unitas and he walked in he we asked, he asked us what the score was, and he said, They're not going to win. So that is one of my great memories of, of, of that Super Bowl, which just shows you again, here we have a, a, a world-class Talmud Chacham and you know, three little boys who all ended up really being very deep into the Tyra Velt. Uh, enjoying, you know, uh, and, and being surprised at this game. 
Yeah, well, just as I would say that, you know, late 60s culture is far, far less dangerous to the spiritual well-being of anybody, Jew or non-Jew. And as the years went on and on and on, obviously the level of insanity and evil increased and increased till you get to, to today. So, yes, absolutely true. And when you say they're, they're, they would be, it would be a shock to their system, I would just offer a, a footnote to that and say the greater fear is that it would not be a shock to their system, that, that in some ways they've, they've absorbed by osmosis. Um, I, I make the point, I think, that let's say the lack of respect or cooperation in their world. There are so many things that are rooted in the acceptance of current Goyeshkeit in the Orthodox world which serve to uh, undermine so much of our beliefs and practices. And when one wonders about that subversion, the answer lies in an easy acceptance. So Alavai would be a shock to this system. I fear that for many, it would not be a shock to this system. Let's say the essential dogma of commercialism, commercials, commercialism, is that the goal of human life is... Uh, uh, pizza, beer, um, a, a white sand beach somewhere where one sits with a cocktail. The goal of life, the ultimate end of life is that. And that the life of virtue could be superior to that or is superior to that. Or that the life of the pursuit of, of honor could be superior to that is very far removed from superbolism. And even if they try to placate the military-industrial establishment a bit by having some planes fly over after a silly rendition of the national anthem. It, it doesn't change the general ethos, which is 2024 American. I want to talk about the the essay by James Treat. Uh, I wasn't familiar with this magazine, Thamilios. So this article um, was written by a, a staunch a Christian theologian. And Protestant, Protestant. He makes the 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 case that, uh, and he really goes uh, again. He makes a, an argument that I had never really heard from uh, a religious person that there is a a value in sports for sports' own sake. It isn't just a means to an end. It's not just a utilitarian way to keep the body healthy. It isn't just a, a means of getting people where they live, recognizing that sports is part of their life and using it as a metaphor for holiness or a metaphor for learning, which which we discussed, I have used and, and, and other teachers always use as well to show the Rebbe is with it. To, to be able to compare uh, memorizing sports facts and trivia to memorizing Gemara word sheets, but rather there's something holy or just great, not even holy, but something as part of God's creation, play, and especially this organized competitive play that is sport, is something that is part of the beautiful creation in Bereshus, Vayar Hashem is Kol Asher Ma'od. The problem is that orthodoxy does not sufficiently address, or almost does not at all address, the question of non-explicitly sacred, but nonetheless beautiful experience. And this is the crux of the problem here. We have no 
response to Beethoven and Mozart. We have no response to Wayne Gretzky. We have no response to any aspect of creation, which strikes us phenomenologically as significant, but yet we cannot file it under religion or morality. That's the crux of the issue. Again, it goes to the question of, is uh, the ticket of Anishamas based upon a mathematical uh, amassing of Torah mitzvahs so that there, if if I can learn the third Teretz and Tosvahs, or if I can feed and clothe widows and orphans, do I have any right to pursue beauty or human experience? And that's the fundamental issue on the table. And, and, and I think Treat argues very strongly that we sort of turn our backs on the world of, that God created if sure. we limit ourselves only to certain things. We, we know it isn't just part of the nochash, right? He, Treat, I think, does a great job explaining some of the excesses that you uh, have, have, have enumerated. They're all part of the, yitz, the, the various Yetzirahs, the Yetzirah of, of Arias, Taivas Momon, Ritzicha, um, they find themselves now uh, indicated in sports when you when he talks about the cheating that goes on, the various polls that indicate that athletes themselves would do whatever they could to win at all costs, even if it meant to cheat and shorten their lives. And he believes that this doesn't mean sports itself is rotten. It means it's a mirror to humanity. <laughs> humanity is not Masukin yet, and therefore this wonderful thing called sports and competition, which is necessary, that it shouldn't just be wild. There needs to be competition and rules in order for it to 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 advance. All of it has been sullied, and and then he makes even a, a greater point. And again, I thank you for uh, uh, for suggesting to read this article. That then you have the third big of Avera, which is uh, Avodah where sports replaces God. Where, where, and 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 he does. It's it's a it's an easy target, right? <laughs> you know, the chanting, the cheering, the iconography. Uh, you know, it, it's all part of being excited to the level of feeling that you're reaching something sublime and great by your devotion uh, to that team and to well, those what, players. What I would add is, it's very important to raise the question of what sports were when America was yet Christian. In other words, Frank Leahy at Notre Dame or Earl Blake at Army or even Lombardi. Again, you're talking about a very, very uh, religious America. So in that America, it did not replace God. So it's first God is stripped from reality post-World War II West or post-World War I, wherever you want to put it. And then you look for substitutes. And so I think that's, the, the order is reversed. It's not sports did it. Sport is not the culprit. Sport fills the vacuum created by the uh, the Enlightenment or America or whatever you want. And, and I think a lot, Rav Mayer, when we talk about the, the Avodah aspect of, of, of the game, but contrast that to so many of the participants point to God, they talk afterwards to the on-field reporter about, I just give everything, the glory up to God who, who did this oh, for oh, me. Only the non-whites, as in everything else, they take the lead. They are the ones that organize the prayer groups. They are the ones that talk about God. They point to the heavens. 
As in everything else, the white man trails far behind. So despite everything else around it, there does seem to be, God seems to be mentioned quite a bit by Again, the players. I, I, have, I have to stop you here. I don't think it's true about the whites. I think that the, the blacks have a soul. They have a soul. And that soul manifests itself in many things. You will find no white player pointing to the heavens. And uh, I don't know, we, we have to go back to the, the giants of the 80s. What was the tight end's name? Mark Bavaro always crossed himself in the end zone. Right. But no, it, again, this is one of the areas in which the black soul maintains the union of the Shoma. Well, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, it's a very painful memory. Of course, I didn't watch the game, but I know the result of it. The The Packers played the Seahawks in a championship game where the Packers were up a couple of scores in the fourth quarter and through a number of blunders, uh, the Seahawks went back into it and won the game in overtime. And it was such an incredible comeback. They asked Russell Wilson afterwards and Russell Wilson says, like, God was on our side today. And, and of course, Aaron Rodgers responded cynically, you know, does God really care? You know, you know when, when he was told, when he was told what Russell Wilson said, that must be God wanted us to win. He said, I think God has other things. He doesn't really care about the victory. That's the Machloikas. Russell Wilson has a Baal Shem-esque understanding of Ashkocha Proteus, and Aaron Rodgers has a Rambam-esque understanding right, of Ashkocha right. Exactly. But but again, again, Russell Wilson, of course, is black, and he you know, ascribes the victories to, to God. Of course, obviously. But even so, and despite the fact that the NFL is 80% black, you still believe there's a there's an Avodazara aspect that Tree talks about that is still rampant there. Yeah, Avodazara is making it, I think, a little too strong. I think it's a glib acceptance of the dogmas of 2024 America. If it was pagan, I'd have I'd at least have some hope for it. It's not even pagan. It's just this bland, vacuous imposition of a, of a meaningless life upon everyone. And the only crusade allowed are the big brother jihadist crusades for LGBT and stuff like that. Well, let, let, let me make a difference between the Super Bowl and general fandom of a team. I think what happens in the Super Bowl is you have casual, unknowing people, sort of like your yeshiva guys. They aren't really the the fans who are, you know, super uh, into the whole season and right. the whole uh, of what's going on. So, but I think the ones who are into it, who become, who, who go to bars uh, to watch the game, who tailgate for hours beforehand, I think Treat is correct. That is the, that is the Avodazara Yetzahara within us uh, to be able to, to glory. And and I, I I'll admit myself that when I was thinking of a screensaver for my computer and it was the nineteen sixty-six Packer team, you know, I would just look at those men and I would just smile like that I had seen sublimity. I had seen, you know, when I saw, you know, Forrest Gregg and Kramer and and Dowler and 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 Starr and Nitschke, I looked at them way beyond them being real people that were aging and dying in nursing homes i i looked at them as 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 almost demigods representing well, weren't, something weren't they worthy of of respect that's the same question again in other words first of all many of them were religious men in, in that in those teams i think boy dalla went up to some 
career in the ministry. But uh, Botstall was very religious. But yes, he was. That's not, not my point. My point is, that is the question. Who is Mozart? That's the question. It's one thing to love what they do and to be impressed. It's another thing when it replaces a devotion. Sure. As long as you say the same thing about other arts, I'll accept that. But here's the other question. Is, is beauty virtuous divorced from the divine? I think it's also a striking question. Is the creation of beauty virtuous without a, a conscious link to the divine? It's a question I've wrestled with my whole life. Again, as I told you, treat was eye-opening. It's not the perspective I had. I always believed it as a ladder to the divine. I mean, the Ramban in the end of Sharagmul speaks about the musical scales as being a remez to the divine midos, that they are a metaphor, not just a metaphor, but they are a histalshalus of the spheros. So to me, the music that was and again, we can only imagine what the music in the Beis HaMikdash was. But I am sure that if we took a time machine back, we probably would, would find it, you know, a, a weird type of sound. But, but I think still human beings being entranced by music, to me, is part of a, a, a hishtaushalus of something that is holy. So again, but that, that's the issue. In other words, the author of music and the author of natural beauty and the author of Wayne Gretzky is Almighty God. That's true. And and now, so now you've got a problem because the, the Hamish Welt for sure, and even the modern Orthodox Welt, except for a small segment of uh, of it, do not approach reality that way. So in, in a sense, and now I'm going to say a shafa shafa vot, in, an, in a sense, there is a, a profound denial of God's authorship of existence in their puritanical rendering of reality. Why did God create 31 species of clownfish off the, off the shore of Australia? And they have no answer. Their theology cannot fit, nor can Mozart, nor can Gretzky, nor can Mahomes, nor can the dramatic story of Brock Purdy. None of that can fit. They have no place to put that. So here's what they do. They have two places to file it. Nisyonis, created by Satan, to lure us away from the base Madrash. That's what the more Hamish would say. And maybe some more liberal Hamishists would say, you know, not only by learning, yeah, maybe you can do it. But but they don't answer the question, who made it? Who made all this? Did, did he make it on a bad day? Did he make it to lure us into sin? What has God up to according to them? I think with the advent of the Balshemtiv and the entrenchment of the Hasidic mentality in Europe, and even here in, in in how it took over so much of of an American mindset, I think music is a little bit of exception. But when it comes to actual physical accomplishments, I think there it's much harder to make the jump to say you know, and, and there you you get all, and we've talked about all that. The, the, so many students hearing the insult, you're just into Chochmas Yovon, you're into, that's, that's his Yavnus, you know, extolling the physical body and, and what that person is, how high LeBron James can jump and how accurate uh, Mahomes' passes are. And you're right, it, it, there isn't in the Frumvelt, I don't think anywhere, 
the type of looking at it and saying, this is something glorious, this is something magnificent. And, and, and non-significant beauty as well, which is not physical. In other words, it's not just when it gets physical. It's any form of knowledge or beauty which is not explicitly sacralized, which they have no explanation for whatsoever. And that's why I don't want to say to them, you know, follow God's creation. Because they're only dimly aware that it is God's creation. And especially since they can conceive of a world without competitive sports. And without grass and trees and, and clownfish. <laughs> yeah, so he, that, that's going to be a tough sell. Going to the liquidism, why did God make beautiful flowers? So in, in other words, God could have developed a way to let us breathe fresh air without it being aesthetically pleasing. Yes, and without being complex. But he chose to put 72 trillion cells in the human body. Why does the liquid-based matter need 72 trillion cells? Yeah, so so the the question is, in, in, in sports, I mentioned this to you the other day when we talked about this, that uh, the rise in leagues and competitive sports, way beyond anything that was done, had to do with the Industrial Revolution creating hours and hours of leisure. Yeah. And otherwise, Bronco Nagurski, a hundred years before that, would have been, you know, in some sort of, you know, he would have been a longshoreman, whatever. He would have been on some ship, right? He would not have yes. been a fullback yes. anywhere, yes. right? S S Sammy Ball would have been the ship's captain, and Bronco Nagurski would have worked in the, on the, in the coal mines. Yes, yes correct. Yes. So, so it really was the, the explosion of, of industry and invention that left human beings with such free time. And these young strapping fellows needed something to do with it. And also, let's say that the, there became a class that had money. Money was not just now uh, the province uh, of the regal aristocrats. Money right. was, there was a middle class that could actually spend on this and wanted to find something to, to spend on in their, in their free time. And all of this comes together in forming, you know, whether it's baseball at the end of the 19th century or football as it starts to begin beyond college in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I know the NFL really started before that, but we know— 1920, it, 1920, But yes. we know that it was only really, you know, once Red Grange went from college to the NFL that, yeah, sure. that, that things started to rise— so it, it, it's hard to really say this is the same thing as the botanical garden uh, or, or, or Mount Hood. Like, why right. did God cre have to create this? Sports, I think we can point to sociological yes. uh, aspects yeah. that created this. Yes. And we don't necessarily see it's God's hands. Yes. Well, so, but again, it, the, the, first of all, let's just pause for a moment and talk about the fact that many Rishonim who did not have the world of sports, but had the world of God's creation, gave it much more attention than contemporary Chavediism gives it, whether it's the Chavos or the Rambam. So again, the idea that God's creation means something more than it means in B'nai Brak is, is an important question to put on the table. And I think it's linked to your question. Now, human-created beauty is a whole different thing. And as you say, human creating beauty begins with leisure time, the Industrial Revolution, and so on and so forth. But why? It, the question is the same. In other words, 
why God would create clownfish is the same question as why God would create Gretzky. And again, to say that it occurred in history, post-Enlightenment, post-Industrial Revolution, you've located it, and you say why it came to the surface. But again, why would the Rebbeinishleilam take, I don't know what, 100,000 kids in Canada playing hockey at a good level and take this one kid in Brantford and make him something above and beyond human comprehension? Why? For what reason? So again, either to keep the Gentiles from killing us, they'll tell you, or to create an Assyrian for them they tell you not to follow such tosim. But what kind of God is that? What kind of God are they positing? What, what, what kind of tricky, tricky demonic God is being posited? Something which strikes us as so wondrous and beautiful, they can only file it. Again, it seems in terms of creation that it, it is so much more than just keeping the animal Gentiles and their animalism. Yeah, look, you know, I, I've mentioned to you a couple of times that I'm always taken not so much by the actual feats of these great stars, whether it's Gretzky or Koufax, Unitas, but the training that produces them. None of them, you say God created them. True, yes, but you know Jordan had to get up early in the morning and practice those foul shots over and sure, over and over sure, again. Sure. So even though God allowed the DNA of Michael Jordan Sr. and his mother to enter into this fellow, to give him springs in his legs that most people didn't, didn't believe really exist, he had to bring that out with incredible hard work, with incredible determination. And I think when when one, you talked about Lombardi uh, and, and, and other coaches, they know that what creates great teams is taking that talent and working on it, working on it to a point that it can be like a well-oiled machine, like you know the Packer front line, in order sure. to um, to to uh, exercise the power sweep for sure. Jordan to do the to actually be the captain of the triangle offense. And to me, what what that tells anyone who who is a sports uh, aficionado or anyone who even yeah. is interested is what we can do when we yes. work at something and really yes. care about something. But, but, there, but there's two things here. You're talking about the limud in terms of Hasmada, Walter Gretzky flooding the backyard for a little way and that skate all year long, whatever it was. You're saying that's one thing. And then there's this extraordinary finished product. So you're impressed with the moral greatness of working hard at something. That's certainly true. I agree with there is a limit there. That's correct. But you're still not addressing why God made that DNA. Because it's so tantalizing. And because what's demanded from us is ethereal and not and, and non-tactile. Uh, if there is no trophy, it is something that we have to generate belief uh, in the world beyond. These tactile, beautiful, incredible images are something that can inspire. And, and I have used that consistently. And even if it goes to, again, I'm going to take this into a little different felt, the, probably the most gifted dancer in American film was Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire 
moved. You know, his acting and his singing were subpar. But when he danced, it was, like you say, it was Beethoven, it was Mozart. And, and I heard Astaire once talk about his, he would wake up at 3.30 and 4 in the morning and he would try something out. He had already done that and he would work on it again and again and again. And, and I say to myself, Astaire eventually gets old. He can't dance. And, and look how hard he worked about this. We have Chaye Netzach. We have something eternal, great, tremendous. We need to get up at 3.30 in the morning and also work on it and, and perfect what it is that we do. Now, why do I need a stare to you, do you, that? You're still avoiding the issue. Yeah, right. But, 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 not, but it, it, it hammers home the idea. I, I have these okay. messages constantly abounding. And that doesn't mean I call a stare trafe. That doesn't mean that I spit on Fred Astaire and what he did. Yeah, all right, good. I admire your musadrasha. It's a musadrasha, but, yeah. but, but, but in other words, greatness in small things doesn't impress us. Well, you're right. Why did God allow this? God wants us to see that game. God wants us to, to, to be able to be impressed by Bob Feller's 100 mile per hour fastball. He wants right. us to, to know that this is something that takes great effort to be able to hit like mantle. It's not a fellow smother, which I'm sure he had. It's that wow moment, the 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 the, the moment of Morabi Masech Hashem, the wow moment, the wow moment of a kind and gracious God creating beauty in His universe. And again, the, the limudim of asmada, I'm with you 100%, it's true. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. I want to end with a macha, if I may. But we can go further beyond the macha. When we were listing great quarterbacks at the beginning, I want to say that the, the NFL, as you said, tends to get denigrate its history. And all the names we listed were post-1950s. So I want to add Sid Luckman, Sammy Bohr, Benny Friedman, who was Jewish, and Otto Graham to that list. It's not fair to those four men who are all great. That's just a, a zeitigemacher, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, there's only grainy images of uh, of, of slinging Sammy Baugh. I'll mention Y.A. Tittle, who sort of like str- straddles both both Kufis. Ears, both ears, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I always have a, a, a wonderful soft spot, again, maybe you know, for George Blanda. To me, you know, Blanda, who played in the... Um, you're going to get Musri now that he extended his career into his old age and and that sort of thing, right? Okay. Then he then he went into the AFL. He was on the uh, I think it was on the Houston Oilers for for years. That's correct. Yes, that is correct. He won an AFL championship, and then yes. a, and then after the merger, uh, he became a, basically a kicker. Oak for Oakland for, for Oakland for Oakland, Oakland yeah, for the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. And of course, you remember yes. that there was that season where. Maybe it was LaMonica or one of the Oakland quarterbacks went down. Yes. And here was the old guy. Here was Blanda. And, and Blanda didn't have the vitamins that, that Tom Brady has, right? Oh. He didn't have the, the regimen of, 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 of health that Tom Brady and other quarterbacks have to extend. No. He looked like an old guy. He looked like he was ready to be one of the, the guys who would come early to Minion, <laughs> you know, and, 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 in Florida, in Florida. Yes. 
and he got off the bench there, and he was able to to not only kick, uh, you know, game winning field goals, he was able to throw passes still, you know, in his dotage. I mean, that's a one funny story here. There's a scene in one episode of Happy Days when they're watching some football game on TV, and Richie or somebody says, "That's George Blanda," and so and they says, "He's too old. He's going to retire. That guy can't play anymore." It's <laughs> set in the 1950s Milwaukee. You know, that guy can't play anymore. And that is really, as you say, it's it's a it's it's a pee into a a long gone era. Anyway, the two minute warning passed a long time ago, uh, Remayer, and I think we we have the last seconds. Although, like in any good football game, we can call a couple of timeouts and have those last seconds, you know, almost stretch out interminably. Let's just uh, have the last word from the coach on the other side. Whether it is beauty or virtue that we admire. Both are admirable, and both are gifts from a gracious and loving God. Yes, and I'll just say jokingly, we always thought Chazer was treif, but when it become when it wrapped itself in that spheroid shape to become a football, maybe that was when, how Chazer was Chazer <laughs> to a way they can now be conceived as something very positive. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.